I'm going to go invite uh, Rick Reams to the front. Let's give Rick a hand as he comes forward. Rick is uh, a leader at our church. Um, he's, he's really one of our pastors at our church. He's, he's stepped into that role over the last uh, many months, and um, Rick has served as a minister in other contexts in the past and came here as just a lay leader, and, and he's just been willing to step up and do whatever we've ever needed Rick to do. And so um, I wasn't feeling like I could preach this week, and so I texted Rick just a little bit ago and didn't give him a whole lot of notice uh, and asked him if he'd be willing to preach. And first thing he says is certainly for sure. <laughs> and Rick's that kind of guy that he will jump in and, and do whatever's needed. And he, he, you know, Christine and I were talking about Rick this past week and just how Rick is just such a prayerful person. And, and we just know that when Rick preaches, he puts in so much prayer and really listens to God's voice um, and really asks God, what is it that God is putting on his heart that he wants to share with you all today? And so uh, Rick inspires me in that way uh, to, to not just read books, but to, to read the Spirit and listen to what God is trying to say. And so um, I'm going to turn it over to Rick, and he's going to share a word with us this morning, and then we'll take communion and worship, and we'll be done. So. A couple of things before I began. Begin. That was a nice way of John saying that Rick doesn't read books. <laughs> and it's true, but I just thought that was a very nice way to say that. I also appreciated Rick's message last week. Debbie, if I don't have the mic up close enough, if you'll let me know, I appreciate that. When Rick started preaching last week, he took his watch off and he put it right here. And I always love when preachers do that. I don't do that for two reasons. One... It doesn't really matter. I won't look at it anyhow. And the one time I did that, I left it on the podium and preached in another city. And it was there until I went back. So I've got to watch that. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is, Christina, you win the, the award for packing the pew this morning. I'm impressed with how many family members. If y'all would just give Christina's family a hand for being here. We love Christina, and we love having you all here with us this morning. The last thing I want to say before I start the message is to our online folks. The last time I preached here, on Monday I got a text from a friend that said, hey, have you watched your message yet? And that's not a good thing when you get a text from a friend. And I was wondering, what in the world was he talking about? Well, come to find out, when I preach, I roam a lot. Two-thirds of last time's message, I wasn't on screen at all. So I know if you came in in the middle of that, you wondered where in the world. My wife will tell you it was not the voice of God speaking, but this morning I'm staying put. As you can tell, I like to have fun. And this is a place that allows me to do that. My wife Stephanie and I have been members here since last December. We started attending right before the pandemic came. We love this church and we love... It's mission. I love the study we're doing this year. A year with Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you. In my naivete, I thought this would be an uplifting time. Every week, we're going to learn more and more about this Jesus. You see, it hasn't always been that easy. John and Christina have both talked about that. 
this can be challenging. Luke has some challenging words to say. Jesus himself speaks in ways and speaks on topics that surprise us. I was in Florida when John texted me to ask me to preach, and of course my answer was yes. And I didn't ask him what the scripture was, because I knew I could look it up in the lectionary. Right after I texted back yes, I looked up the scripture. And I thought to myself, gee, John, I appreciate you letting me preach on that this week. But what I want you to know is John and Christina both gave me a lot of leeway. They said I could preach on it or I could preach on something different. Now, I'm hard-headed, and my wife will tell you that. And I believe when I start something, I need to finish it. So if we've been preaching about a year with Jesus, I wanted to continue on preaching about it. But you know, with everything that's gone on with our church, John mentioned, he and Laura, what they've gone through. I've had illness. We've had other people in our church. You may be going through a tough time right now. This scripture is tough sometimes to look at. We'll get to that later. I know everyone's wondering what in the world are we talking about. But what I want you to know is, as I prayed about it, God really, really put on my heart that this was the scripture that I would preach on. And he put on my heart that this is actually a scripture of hope if you look at it in the right way. So what I want to do, first of all, is kind of talk to you about the way that I... I, interpret the Bible. And the first way I interpret the Bible is with the use, parts of speech that are being used. And what I want to talk about this morning, Christina and I talked about this on Monday night, we talked about biblical hyperbole. It's a big word, biblical hyperbole. John, you're going to love this. E.W. Bollinger is a well-renowned Anglican clergyman, a biblical scholar, and a theologian in the 1800s. He wrote a book, Figures of speech used in the Bible. I didn't read the book, but I am quoting from the book. It says that hyperbole is when more is said than is literally meant. Another thing he talks about is it's it's exaggeration. It's used throughout the Bible. A familiar story that some of you may know is in John 4, 39, when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman, and she went and told everyone, he told me all I ever did. Well, let's think about this. With time being a factor and with everything going on, I'm sure Jesus didn't mention every event in this woman's life. But what he was doing was she was using biblical hyperbole to let people know and to get her point. You see, we use it today ourselves especially as teenagers and, and even other people. Have you ever had your teenager here ever said this, Mom, Dad, everyone is going to the party. Well, let's be honest, not everyone is going. But you want to make a point. You want that hyperbole to get there. The second thing I look at is to consider, to consider how this scripture needs to be interpreted according to who wrote it or who's speaking And let me kind of explain what I mean by that. Have you ever sent a text or an email to someone and they read it differently than you meant them to read it? They took that angrily or something like that. That's kind of how we have to look at Scripture. We have to interpret the person that is saying it. 
Now, Scripture is hard because we don't know these people. If someone sends you a text that you know, you can kind of say, oh, I know them. That's not what they meant. But what I do with the Scripture is I look at the character of the person that's speaking the words. Okay? Now, today, the person speaking these words are Jesus, is Jesus. And Jesus, we know his character. We know who he is. So this brings me to today's scripture. I want you to remember the definition of hyperbole. I want you to consider the demeanor of the one speaking, Jesus. And what I want us to do is I want us to climb into Jesus' lap and think of him teaching us in a loving manner a lesson that he needs us to learn. So Luke 14, 25 and 26 says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Can you see how when I first read this, I really appreciated the opportunity to preach this message? But you know, we need to look deeper into what this scripture, to me, is talking about. I see this as biblical hyperbole. I see this as another way that hyperbole is used. Hyperbole can be used to get your attention. And let's be honest, it's the very first thing it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Don't you think this got their attention? I know a lot of you looked up when I read this. It gets our attention. But what I want you to know is this is hyperbole. Because in ten, the Ten Commandments it says, honor your mother and your father. Do you think Jesus is refuting this commandment? No, of course not. He's using, he's using this to be, make his point in a more dramatic way. What I think Jesus is saying here is get your priorities straight. And let me tell you how I learned this. At a very young age, I can't remember what happened. I don't remember the circumstance. All I can remember is my mom decided it was a great time for me to learn a lesson from her. She sat me down and she looked at me and she said, Rick, you need to learn this now. My priorities in life are God, your dad, and then you and your sister. God, your dad, and you and your sister. At the time, I thought that was harsh. I'm supposed to be way up there. But you see, she was saying the same thing that Jesus wants us to say. He wants us to be at the, he wants him to be at the top of our priority list. Nothing should come before him. No one or no thing has a higher priority in our lives than Jesus. Jesus uses hate as a hyperbole. I truly believe what Jesus is saying is I want you to love me more than anything or anyone else. And that includes ourselves. Because he says in scripture, ourselves. Why do you think this is? Why do you think he's saying this to us? Well, you know, as I look at the list of those people that he listed off, I found one thing in common. These are all human beings. And we know, as human beings, 
we will let each other down. We will let ourselves down. But you see, in Hebrews 13.5, it says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave nor forsake you. This, my friends, to me is the first part of hope. Others will abandon you. Others will leave you. They will forsake you. But hold tight to this truth. He will not. He is here when your world seems to be falling apart. He is there when nothing makes sense. Sometimes the hardest thing is, even when you don't see him or feel him, he is there. Friends, there's hope in that. Let's continue on. In verse 27, it says this, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We hear this a lot. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Jesus talks about this. What I want to look at real closely, though, is the second part of that scripture. Follow me. You see, if I'm following someone, I'm going exactly where they've been. I've got to follow them. My wife is the world's worst person at following you when she's driving. My wife follows you a mile and a half to two miles behind. And she's nodding her head. She knows it's true. She even says that. I'm terrible at following. But what I'm, doing, what I'm saying here is that we're going wherever Jesus has been. The thing I love about this is Jesus isn't asking us to go anywhere that he hasn't been himself. We are following in our Savior's footsteps. I played basketball pretty much my entire life until I graduated from high school. And in high school, we would do something where they would say, hit the line at end of practice. And what that meant was we'd get to the end of the court, and what we would do is we would run fours, up and back four times. Okay? And after two or three times, they'd time it, and whoever was the slowest or whoever was the fastest got to leave. Well, if you look at me, you can tell I'm not the fastest, and I never was. So I would keep on running fours until they finally would just say, okay, we're done with practice. But you see, my frustration was I wanted to yell at my coach, why don't you come out here and run one? I bet I can beat you. But I never said that. But you see, that's what following, Jesus set the example for us. He's not asking us to do anything that we haven't done. We're going to be singing a hymn later, and I've come to find out this morning it's a very Baptist hymn. I did not know that. But it's very familiar to me because I grew up in the Baptist church. And it's called, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. And these are the words, wherever he leads, I'll go, wherever he leads, I'll go, I'll follow my Christ who loves me so, wherever he leads, I'll grow. go. He drew me closer to his side, I sought his will to know, and in that will, I now abide, wherever he leads, I'll go. Our hope is in the fact that we follow him wherever he goes. Does that mean we're going to be called to some difficult places? The answer is yes. Because the thing I love about my Jesus is he goes to difficult places. 
And when he goes there, he wants us to follow him there. He wants us to follow him because we love him enough to go wherever he goes. Let's continue on. Verse 28 through 30 says this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Isn't it just like Jesus in the middle of something just to throw in a story? You're like, hold on, I'm following you, I picked up my cross, and now we're talking about building a tower. Jesus, what are you doing? You know, the thing I love about Jesus is he does that. He gets our attention. We're trying to figure out what is he saying here. So to me, what he's talking about here is we need to plan ahead. You see, friends, before the sickness comes, before the disaster strikes, before the broken relationship happens, before your world falls apart, you need to have Jesus. You see, the third part of hope comes in this. If you have Jesus at the top of your priority, you know you don't face these circumstances alone. And you know whom to turn to when all else fails. About a month ago or a little longer than that, John had me come up and talk about the impact this church had on me and Stephanie during my illness. And I told you all it was the strangest time in my life because I could not pray. All I could do is call out on the name of Jesus. And you see, I think that's what this is talking about. When you can't do anything else, call out on Jesus. He's there. He's there. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. If he's at the top of your priority list, it's going to be okay. The end may not come as you want it, but he's there with you. He will be there. My Aunt Barbara, Barbara Thompson, died at the age of 91 about a month ago. I love this lady immensely. She is one of the funniest person that I have ever met. And I won't tell you stories because I can't tell them on this pulpit. But she had some stories to tell. At her funeral, however, I was able to share some of those stories with the crowd. And they knew her. And they laughed. And we laughed and we had a good time. But something happened at the funeral that I didn't know was going to happen. You see, my cousin Donna had found a letter that my aunt had written to God in about 1990. No one had ever seen the letter. No one had ever read that letter except for my aunt. It was tucked away somewhere in her house, and my cousin found it. And when I read the scriptures after John texted me, I texted my cousin, I said, can you send me a copy of that letter? Because it's a beautiful view of what I'm talking about. So my Aunt Barbara says this, Dear God, you have blessed me so much. You know what I've been through in these last five years. All my family have died. But you know how I feel and how I hurt. You have never left me, even though at times I have felt very far away from you. I know that you didn't move. God, the greatest loss I have suffered has been the loss of my husband. But even in that, you had the greatest influence on me in my life. You have provided people to step into my life at just the right moment. You have shown me through them that you care for me. And even now, God, you are giving to me an awareness of what I must do to start over, alone, with a new life. 
You gave time and allowed my husband to live long enough to seek your face, and now he is with you. I am so grateful for that assurance and that I will be there one day also. I will be thrilled to see my mother again. Let me remain faithful until then. My Uncle Jack died in 1985. Her mother was murdered a very short time after that in a terrible event. You see, with all of that fresh on her mind, did you hear the hope in her letter? Did you hear that she held on till the very end? Now I'm going to admit to you, she never thought she would live as long as she did. Again, think of this timing. He died in 1985, and she was without him for that long. One of the last conversations I had with her was she said, Rick, you know, you and Stephanie have been married a lot longer than your Uncle Jack and I were married. The hurt was there, but the hope never ended. She taught me the fourth lesson of hope. Though we may not understand why things happen, we know that Jesus is faithful to be with us no matter how much anger or doubt we may have. He's big enough to handle it and only wants to love us through it. And hear this, friends, because we are his priority. Do you know it's okay to be mad at God? It is. It's okay to shake your fist. It's okay to scream. It's okay to holler. It's okay to cry. Because we serve a big God. And as a parent, you know if you have children, you're going to face this too. I've sadly told my mother before, my father before, that I hated them and all of this. But they still love me. And that's the God we serve. But what I want us to see is the reason that that happens is because we are his priority. Each and every one of us. He doesn't love some more than he loves others. He's not more disappointed in some than he is in others. What I want you to hear is he is there. We've had a tough year at Embrace, but he is there. He is here with us. I want us to look at one more scripture. 1 John 4, 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. Why are we to make Jesus our priority? Because of his love for us. I titled this sermon, A Tough Year with Jesus. And that's a pretty good title, I think. But it hit me on Thursday. I was talking to my mom who lives in an assisted living facility. She's battling Alzheimer's, but she's really clear right now. So she likes to know what's going on in all of our lives. So I talked to her about this sermon a little bit. And I told her what the title was, A Tough Year with Jesus. But then it hit me. You know, don't we have an amazing Savior who, whenever John and Christina came up with this year with Jesus, knew the exact year we were going to have. What better time to have a year with Jesus than this? And I don't know about you, but I'd rather spend a tough year with Jesus than a second without him. You can say amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
usually when I'm sitting out there, I'm the one that says amen. But, but I want you to know that tough times are going to come. Tragedies will happen. You know, sometimes when that phone rings, you're not going to know what's going to be said. And I've had those phone calls. And we've had those phone calls in this church. You don't know what's going to happen. But what I want you to know is through this entire year with Jesus, we're being constantly reminded of how much he loves us. Friends, he's there. He wants to be at the top of your priority. Let me ask you a question that only you can answer. Is he there? Is he your top priority today? The thing I love about Jesus is if he's not, that's very easy to change. Because he doesn't look down and say, nope, I was number two, I was number three, I was number whatever. It's too late. My Aunt Barbara talked about my Uncle Jack. He never knew Jesus until right before he died. A couple years, he got to know Jesus. And the amazing thing was, when he came to, before Jesus, Jesus didn't say, eh, you know what? 53 years without me? Sorry. It's too late. No. It's time. There's time. But today is that day. Very easy to do. Jesus, be my priority. And then wait and see what Jesus does. So today's the day to change that list, to shuffle that list. Friends, I can almost guarantee you that we're going to have, continue to have a tough year with Jesus until December 31st. January the 1st, sadly, probably nothing's going to change. We're still going to have tough years. But we face those tough years because we know who holds us. And that's Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.